0: the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Oh, aren't we glad to be here today? Aren't we glad, glad about what Jesus is doing? Let me tell you, thank you for the blood applied. That's good news, that's good news. Oh, Father, we ask for you to reign in this place. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Do only what you can do. Show up and show out. Send that anointing that makes preaching easy. Send that anointing that destroys yokes, that breaks shackles, that takes the crooked road and make it straight. Send your presence today, Lord, because nothing else can do. We look to you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have you ever had a time in your life, right? Anybody know what it feels like to be exhausted? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. Talk to me today. A time in your life where you felt inadequate, a time where you felt undone, maybe even some language where, you know, it was like, you know, you just feel like you wasn't it, whatever it is. Maybe because of a series of mistakes and bad choices, you perhaps had left you feeling like maybe you weren't the good guy in whatever narrative. Perhaps you can identify with those feelings and maybe even to a depth of other emotions with things you would not even want to articulate out loud. It could have been for a number of reasons, maybe because of something you might have done. Maybe because of something you didn't do, or maybe because of something you're too afraid to do. But with all of those feelings, you might often find yourself beating yourself up, telling yourself if you would just do better. I can relate to that. I remember experiencing, you know, depending on what crisis, but a particular crisis at the time in my life on December 27th, 2022. And I'm going to put a dot, dot, dot there. We'll come back to that story. From the looks of today's passage, Jesus seems to have a level of awareness of those feelings and thoughts about this idea of doing. It's still the summer on the mount and Jesus is communicating truths about the kingdom of heaven for us on earth. We've come to the point in the passage where he is still drawing these connections uh, between the old and new covenant. I don't know if you remember Pastor Allen's sermon week one, some of the mount, where he draws this connection between Jesus and Moses. This concept of what happened with Moses is now seen to also be happening in the experience of Jesus and this idea of it being elevated in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at the first passage we see here, Matthew 5 and 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come, or I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus makes another reassuring statement here that stands out to me. That he hasn't come to do away with it, but to elevate it, choosing maybe even what seems to be an odd notion in its time. Matthew 5, 18 to 19 says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Until everything is accomplished. Now, this is not today's sermon, but I I think that's fruitful for some of us that are reading it. There is something about God just in this verse that what he starts, he finishes. Okay, I want us to track together. That not a thing will go by. Not anything he has articulated will fall to the ground. No, 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 he's going to watch it to see it through. Now, we're going to see that pop back up later on. Verse 19, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teachings accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is still, you know, there's some jargon here that he's playing with, and he reveals a secret just in the way he articulates his parables, that the truth is Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And that brings us to the key passage today, Matthew 5 and 20. That's where we're going to find our thoughts. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, my righteousness, surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will, not, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Seems a bit of like a warning, tough pill to swallow. And that gives us a thought today that righteousness perhaps is not a matter of behavioral modification, but of heart transformation. That this righteousness that Jesus in efforts to communicate to us it's not maybe how much or well you do better, but of some intrinsic, Jesus on the inside working on the outside, encounter that happens with the divine. Well, at this point, what is considered righteousness? Maybe that's what you're asking yourself. That's what I asked myself when I looked at it. And I think in its simplest definition, it would be to be in right standing with God. But then why would Jesus use this comparative analysis to describe righteousness, right? I don't know if there are any educators or teachers or even parents in the room, right, if you're here. Uh, Comparison is not the most helpful tool sometimes to use between children. But yet Jesus uses these two variables to compare, to draw our attention to something. Well, one, at the time, The Pharisees are the representation of righteousness. They are the public, social, moral standard that people look to be like, or the efforts to think of, that represent what it meant to be in quote-unquote in right relationship with God. Now, at the same time, Jesus is also using this to draw our attention and shift our understanding to that elevated concept of covenant, where we previously equated our unbroken fellowship with God back to a set of commandments we received on Sinai, now he's drawing this attention to this relationship in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus says that, you know, uh, he draws our attention in a way that righteousness can only be found in him. There's a shifting happening here. Now, I can only imagine how difficult it is to comprehend this shift because Jesus is showing up, pointing their attention to a place. Wait a minute. For, for, for the last so many years, we thought like this. For the last, so, these many decades, these many, this is what it's been, the centuries. This is, and now you're showing up on the scene, shifting us. It's a tougher pill to swallow. The Pharisees had an understanding that perhaps their modified behavior alone could be seen as righteous. But Jesus challenges the foundation of that piety, that pious thinking, and he echoes what we see later on done through Apostle Paul in Romans 3 and nine, and it says this, "Well, then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others?") <laughs> No, not at all, for we have already shown, it's already been visibly seen, that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether Jews or not Jews, are under the power of sin. There's something about God that knows how to level a room. It's an amazing thing, you see. That where we have systems in place, hierarchies, that where I might not look like you or you may not look like me or I may not sound like you, we may not have the same ideologies, perspectives, and point of views. But there's something about coming in the room with Jesus that he levels the floor. That there's no difference. I'm not no better than you and you're not no better than me. You might talk better than me, but you're not better. Might dress better, but you're not, not in the eyes of Jesus. And so Jesus begins to shift the social system here. He really begins to almost tear down the cultural frames and present a kingdom initiative that in the kingdom of God, we're all on the same playing field. Now, now hopefully, hopefully we're we, we on a track to where I've alleviated some stress. Because the truth is, not, not just when I'm working in therapy, I, I experience this, but the truth is there's a lot of anxiety that happens internally because of what we think in relation to the system around us. Maybe if I was just better. Jesus shows up. God shows up through the words of Apostle Paul and levels the place. And then reminds us in these words Something that's mentioned in Isaiah, that our righteousness is still that of a filthy rag. That we in our flesh are not righteous. That our doing is nothing in comparison. Now that may be a tough pill to swallow, but it's reality. That Jesus consistently challenges the Pharisees because they outwardly look the part, yet they miss the gospel. Now this, this this does something on the inside of me, you know, Pastor Trey. Because I, I I would hate to look the part, sound the part, get the words right, the commas and the period, and still miss Jesus. I could only imagine the anxiety and the temperament on the inside of try- I got all the outward things put in order and miss the gospel. It, 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 it plays over something like this, Matthew 15, 7 through 9. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. I know, I know we still focus. And then I, now, on a different day, in a different workshop... There's a reason why we are driven to make things cute, cropped, and edited. Less about Jesus and more about our internal uncomfortability with the social standard. But Jesus is always pushing the envelope, saying, I know that this is difficult to comprehend, but it's not about a doing better. I'm pushing to the why here. But it's about having me. It's not about the ritualistic rules. It's not about the regimen. It's about this relationship with the divine. We're going, we're going to track somewhere. The focus has to be about Jesus. And then the truth is all these other things will fall into place. How do I know? Well, Matthew 6 and 33, you see, seek ye first what? The kingdom of heaven and all his righteousness. And then all of these other It'll become minuscule when you're done seeking the kingdom. Too often we are too busy trying to outwardly do better, and we've long forgotten about Jesus. Doing better for appearance's sake. It's not the righteousness that Jesus is communicating, not in this passage, but the question is still posed that if this righteousness, this right standing with God is not fueled by your good deeds, your great volition, then what is it fueled by? Well, we'll, we'll find strength here. Galatians 3 and 6, it says, So also Abraham, what did he do? Believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's good news for a heart in distress today. So Abraham, what did he do? Believe God. That was enough. I I want that just to sink in for a hot second so that you'll stop stressing yourself out. So what seems to be the truth is we are made righteous through our relationship with Jesus. Not, 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 not your pedigree. Come on, church, talk to me today. (laughs) Romans 5 and 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we can have peace with God. You know, I don't know if your family has ever done this. I got some folks in my family, they don't serve the Lord. And so you hear all kind of things at funerals. Uh, growing up in the country, we, we call them home-going services. I don't know what they call them up here. And so when a person has died in the Lord, you knew they, they went on home. Because we're, we're not citizens of this place. Come on, church, talk to me. It's a kingdom. It's a kingdom. Kingdom. My grandmother would tell me, we're strangers passing through. We're passing through. We're passing through. And so, but you'll find out sometimes if people didn't necessarily know the Lord and family gets together, you know, you'll hear things like, you know, go, go pay, go make peace with it. Especially if, you know, there was a fight or something, you know, go, go make your peace. There's something I find irony in this passage that Paul highlights. You don't got to go make peace. You can be at Peace. You don't got to be worried and in a conundrum and all toe up and tied up, sitting at the edge of your bed trying to figure out what. It says, therefore, since we have been justified. Now, that word justified, in in essence, in translation, you've been declared innocent. Now, in order to conceptualize that, we got to go back to 3 and 9 and really digest that we deserve the penalty of sin. I know we have a world that is so individualistic and so consumerist and we sit at the center of our universe and nothing else matters outside of us and who we are. But the truth is, I'm guilty. I deserve the book to be closed on me, the gauntlet to be slammed, sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. But the hymn says, but the master of the seas, he rescues me. So I'm only right, not because of what I was able to manage the yoke and strength to do, but because of Jesus, that when the courtroom case of my life is displayed, the jury was going to lock me up, figuratively, not literally, figuratively. And yet, there's an advocate in the room and manages to get me off the case. That where I was deemed guilty because he justified me. He declared me innocent. Aren't we thankful for Jesus today? You are not righteous because of what you've managed to do, but you're righteous because of a bloody cross. Woo! What happens in this courtroom is he's pierced in his side. A crown of thorns upon his head. He's flogged, he's striped until he's unrecognizable. And that is enough payment to pay for my guilty case. The sacrifice of Jesus pays the price of sin. Now, now, I want to throw a uh, disclaimer out there. There's not another sacrifice to be paid. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. We tell ourselves that we got a, his payment wasn't enough. Sometimes I I find myself, I got to check myself because I get stuck up in that thinking that is somehow there's something I can do and my moral capacity to be enough to pay when he became a curse for me. The scripture says curse is any man that hangs on a tree and and that, that, that man, that man that hangs there, Jesus, he becomes a curse in my stead. And I find myself reducing my relationship as if that wasn't enough to pay. Because of Jesus, and Jesus alone. The worship song we sang today was so on point. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. I'm thankful today. It was ugly, distasteful. Socially, it wasn't someone you wanted. Uh, now, come on, let's stay in the scriptures. You didn't even want to be known. Have known that man at that point, but he takes a gushing for me. Well, so I'm made right because of the relationship with Jesus. But now what does that mean now for this transformation? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I'm glad you asked. The key to heart transformation, it, it might seem like a simple thing. But when Jesus says, i, I got to go so that another will come, that the key to transformation is the presence and power of the Holy Ghost. That, that is the answer for the intrinsic internal dilemma that you can articulate out loud. And, and let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Galatians 3, 2 to 3 says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. But you received the Spirit because what? You believe. Say, hey, that belief is a, a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. The message you heard about Christ, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? Why? Why would you do that? Stressing yourself out. You can't sleep at night. Doctors say you got insomnia. You got said No, you got anxiety. And it's, when you come to Jesus, you get what you need. Did the Jesus, now hear me, Jesus doesn't oppose sanctification, but he does oppose legalism. See, because the focus of legalism is the doing better of your human effort. But sanctification, see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That can only happen in communion with the Spirit. We can't accomplish anything without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2 and 3. For it is God who works in you to will and to act In order to fulfill, guess what, his good purpose. The answer to the issue of your soul is not do better, not a shame complex. The answer to the inconsistency and proclivity of this human condition is an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It is a child running into the presence of his father that we run into the father's presence and consequently we fall into his grace. We fall into an encounter with the presence of the spirit and we are changed. You see, the father pours out his spirit to do what only his spirit, track with me, can do. And we respond. So this is where your action comes in at. It's not a you doing, it's a response to the divine. We respond to the spirit. Yes, Lord. There was a song we used to sing on. up. I say yes, Lord, yes. To your will and to your... I'll say yes, Lord. I'll trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, not half of it not a little bit of it, not 20%, with my whole heart, I might be scared, but I'll agree. My answer will be yes. So when, when we receive Jesus, lean into the work of the Holy Spirit, that's when we're at the precipice of divine encounters. And let me tell you something, Jesus is prepared to step into the messy pages of our narratives And not fix it. Eh, No, no, no. Because, see, then that is another conversation on a different day. It's in those pages. That's testimony. I know we don't want nobody to know the story, but there's a testimony there. But heal and hold and mend and put back together. So, you remember the story we started off with? We're at the close. December 27th, 2022 found myself, you know, it's the end of the year, and maybe I may be the only one that, you know, rehearses New Year's resolutions still, i I'd be transparent, you know. It's the end of the year, and so you think about the year that you've had, and you consider the year ahead of you. In this particular time, in my moment of introspection, I'm, I'm looking at all that has transpired in my year, And then I got some decisions ahead of me. One of those decisions in transparency was coming here. And I found myself, as I looked over the year, feeling really inadequate. God, you, I don't know if you're really calling me. Now, the the irony is, right, and I'm five days before the new year, I already told Pastor Allen, yes, I'm about to call him back. Hey, brother, I I don't know if this is, if I'm really the person you've called in this time. I, I understand the initiative, I understand, but the, the accuser of the brethren has a way to rehearse all of the messy, horrendous pages of your story. So maybe there, there's somebody else. And after I went through this conundrum all in my mind all throughout the day, I, I still got ministry endeavors that I had to accomplish that year. The Holy Ghost asked me the question, he said, are you tired, son? I always find it so ironic when God asks a question. He often asks questions that he knows the answer to, but he invites you into a moment with him. He says, "Are, Are you tired? And I got a hunch in the spirit that he's asking some of you that question today. Are you tired? Are you tired of just getting so beat up by the accusation of Satan? Having you run like a hamster on a wheel in your mind, going through a catharsis cycle up and down, up and down. He said to me, he said, son, it wasn't you that brought you here." It's something uh, the enemy will have us so tripped up in ourselves that our focus has left Jesus and gotten onto us and onto things. He said, son, it wasn't you that brought you this far. I know the story and I've chosen you for such a time as this. And if I brought you this far, I'll take you all the way. Then why, if you were not saved by the law of Moses, why would you give up Jesus at this point to try to do this in your own human efforts? Folks, that night I experienced crisis internally. And then I experienced The divine. You might be between a rock and a hard place. And you might be too afraid to tell anybody right now because the truth is it's you versus you. I I want you to invite someone else into the narrative today. Now, 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 you run the risk of it not being about yourself if you invite somebody else into the narrative. But I'm telling you, that's a good decision to make. Because if Trayvon do it, well Romans 3 and 9 already told us the, the, the result of that. But, but, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, try Jesus. That this righteousness is not about you doing better, but about a divine encounter. And let me tell you, there will be perpetual encounters. I know some of you I already got Jesus. So you know, this is a good sermon. I already got no 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 no. He takes us from faith to faith, glory to glory. And so you probably have already been through many dangers, toils and snares and now you at this hump in the road. But I'm here to let you know he is prepared again to encounter you. Let us stand. Let us stand. I'm actually to do something that at different times in my life I've had to do. I'm going to, ask you to do an action and I'm a prayer over you. I'm going to put your hands out. Lord, my prayer today, as simple as these words are, Lord, fill us. Fill our cups, Lord. Fill our cups. Lord, some of us in the room, our hearts are hurting. Our minds are troubled. Our legs have gotten weary. The pressure is hot in our lives and we don't know what to do then God some of us were in the room we've tried it our way time and time again and right now God we're tired shackled by a heavy burden beneath the load of guilt and shame so father we come to the fountain that never runs dry. And we say, Lord, fill us as only as you can that nothing in this world will ever do. Pour out your Spirit afresh on us because we need you, we need you, we need you. We set aside our pride today and we say we need you. We set aside our indecision today and we say we need you because without you, we are nothing. In the name of Jesus. And now, Lord, I bless these your people for the boldness to ask for a filling. That, Lord, right now where they are, they don't know it yet, but as we are in your presence, You've gone back to some of their houses. You've gone back to some of their homes. you stepped into some of their private, personal situations. And right now, you are taking what the devil meant for destruction and turning it around. For some of them, you're changing their weary minds. For some of them, you're changing hard hearts. Right now, right now, in this very moment, we are encountering you. And will never be the same. Father, I bless these, your people to do <laughs> to do nothing but receive you and follow you that their actions will be a response to your presence and that alone anxiety ceases now depression we call you off now Low self-esteem and inadequacy, we take authority over you now. And we bring you subject to the authority of heaven. In the name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit, I bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.